almost there. Alrighty. Alrighty. Take it away, Nez. Welcome to this Native Conflict Society podcast. Right now, we are hoping to get some really good insight into the Native Conflict Society members' experience at the Denver Comic Con. A lot of us got a, had a good time there. It's mostly due to Lee Francis having a booth there for uh, his uh, comic book, I guess, adventures that he likes to go on. Thanks. And um, we're going to both interview him, Rodrigo, and me. We are all there, and we all helped out with uh, Lee Francis's booth. But since this is the uninitiated podcast, we'd first like to start off with, I guess we could... Anybody who feels like they can they can answer this question, feel free to chime in. But uh, what is a Comic-Con for an uninitiated uh, NCBS member? Ah, that's great. It's a great question. Hi, everybody. This is Lee Francis. I've been long absent from the Native Comic Book Society podcasts, but I'm back for this special Denver Comic-Con episode. Da, da, da. Um, so what is a Comic-Con? So Comic-Con is a celebration to all things nerd culture, uh, which includes movies, uh, television, science fiction, fantasy, comic books, graphic novels, cosplay, anime, toys, games, well, whatever you can imagine within that world of popular culture, that's what a Comic-Con celebrates. Originally, it was to celebrate comic books. And so the big comic book con uh, companies way back in the day had uh, these conventions where fans would be able to come out, meet and mingle, and talk about comic books. And they'd get to meet some of maybe the writers, some of the illustrators and whatnot. You know, to this point, it's grown into a multi-billion dollar industry. The biggest, of course, in the United States would be Denver, or, uh, excuse me, uh, San Diego Comic-Con. Uh, San Diego Comic-Con, which is the largest in the the world, I think, and it's crazy huge. It's probably a couple hundred thousand people that attend. All the major studios attend. They often do. I think this is this next year. They're probably going to start drawing back on their film premieres, but they have all of the illustrators and writers and etc. And you know, it's just a, a really fun time to go out and be able to hang out with people that have similar interests in areas of nerd and pop culture. So, yeah, and we took a wonderful trip up to Denver about two weeks ago. The Queen City of the Plains. The Queen City of the Plains. I'm joined by my uh, my compatriot, Rodrigo. Hello Rodriguez. there. He's also here in studio. Yes, he is. And we had a fantastic time. I will say we had a fantastic time. <laughs> I don't know if y'all had a fantastic time, but it was great for me. Uh, it actually is our fourth year back at Denver Comic-Con. And it's um, one of the most widely attended comic book conventions. Uh, sort of thousand people? Planes, yeah. I think they said 112,000 people this year. So every year it's kind of been progressively getting bigger, and we've been there for four years. We have been uh, graciously invited there by, I guess, parent company of the con, which is Pop Culture Classroom, to come there and be able to talk about native comics. And they allow us to have a booth, and it's, it's just a great time to learn. And this year we had a really good team up there. So Nez and Rodrigo, I'm... Yeah, thanks, guys. And thanks Adam. for being there. And Adam. That's right. We had Adam. Who else? We had Steph. Stephanie. And my buddy Jason. Jason. So that was uh, that was great. And and Renee. We had Renee Neho on the first day, native game designer. So a little name drop and shout outs. So that was it. Awesome. Awesome. So explain a little bit more about uh, what you were representing at the booth, because I'm not sure if you've formally explained yeah. your position on the on this podcast. Before. Yeah, that that's true. So I am a, a true thoroughbred indigenerd, and I run. Uh, I'm the publisher and CEO of a company called Native Realities LLC, Native Realities Publishing, and we publish uh, merchandise and materials for ages zero to twenty four, primarily focusing on comic books and graphic novels. Uh, not entirely for Native folks, but Native-centric, with Native stories and at least one lead uh, on the team has to be the na a Native person, whether it be the illustrator or the writer. And uh, we have our imprint, which is INC Comics, which stands for Indigenous Narratives Collective. And we have some really great folks that are a part of that. And that's sort of, um, that's a, it's a collective mindset. So the folks sort of work together and we edit together and we uh, kind of put everything to for the publications that are coming out. So we've had seven publications over the last, I want to say, two years. Uh, sold a lot of them at Denver and that's what we do. So we go around and we sell comic books and graphic novels, kids books, picture books. Yeah, we do a little bit of retailing when, we, when we're in some of these bigger con spaces and, and whatnot. Yeah, it's pretty great. I always feel bad whenever... Uh... 
I get a copy of INC Comic because I usually get it for free. You do. I don't think I've ever bought one. No, because you work the booth. <laughs> well, you've been at two now, right? You did Albuquerque with me? Oh, yeah. I did Albuquerque and then I did Denver. Yep. Denver. Where I've done Albuquerque once. Yeah, you did yeah. Albuquerque once. Yeah. Never mind. Yeah, you got to run. You were running the booth with me once and then you did Denver. And then we've got BMG Fan Fest coming up in July. You're welcome to come by and BMG, Black hang out the booth. Goods. Old, uh, old uh, Josh Jones is going to be running that. So. Also, we, we have, have one Josh special Jones. one we special Comic Con coming up in November. Is is it November, right? Yes. November 18th through the 20th, we have the Indigenous Comic-Con here. A little in... thing we like to call the little thing. Yeah. <laughs> a little just thing. a little thing. Just a little thing here in <laughs> Albuquerque, New Mexico. We've got a really great guest list. A lot of folks that we like. Uh, we have secured Jonathan Joss. Old John Redcorn is going to be on, on one of our guests. He's going to be selling, I think, Redcorn Rub. He's got a barbecue yes, rub. I heard about that rub. It sounds tasty. Sounds delicious. So we're really excited. We've got some other great native comic book artists throughout the industry. It's just going to be really exciting. Um, I think we're going to have a really good time. I'm looking forward to it. Yep, and that's being hosted by Native Reality as well so of course you all if you're in town you will be volunteering there will also be plenty of ncbs members there all right so getting in a little bit more yep. into detail with the comic-con uh, i guess we could it was only a three-day event th so i think we could go in day by day because yep. uh, there were some highlights from the each of the days that i think that we could all kind of bring in and um i missed the first day but i noticed that uh you happened to post a video of one of the things that happened on the first day so if you want to talk about more of the highlights from that first day for the for the for the booth not absolutely. you specifically we'll do uh, those later but yeah absolutely yeah. so it was a it was a really good day you know kind of working backwards since we retail a lot we had a lot of titles you know a lot of books both our comic books and the ones that we retail with the exception of one are written by native illustrators native writers um native creators we sold out of about five or six of those titles after day one. And it's not like we had a huge stock, but for me that was just really a great moment for the booth and for the company and for what we were trying to do because I just felt like a whole bunch of people walked away with all these books, right? So here's people that didn't have the Trickster book or Native American graphic classics or any of our comic books that we put out and they walked away with a whole bunch of them. And so that was super awesome for me. Mm -hmm. The other part that was really great was we had a whole, one of the videos that I missed. I tried to live stream some of this. I'm, I'm learning technology. So I was like, Facebook allows you to live stream. Shoot. We're going to do that all week, weekend long. Yeah. We're getting on top of it. I know. Finally. We're, we're on the podcast finally, around. you know? Yeah, I know. That's great. And we're then getting up there. apparently somebody said there was something like Snapchat. So there's a. There's I don't a thing understand. Called, I don't understand either. And it makes me feel old. I know, me too. Uh, and the, but Renee knows how to use it, so I just I was like, well, why don't you do some Snapchatting for us? That was fine. I, is that even the term, yeah. Snapchatting? This is such an old podcast. It really is. is. I know you're, We're you're dating and aging we are at this point. Well. Shoot. So what was really great was we had a whole bunch of folks from Jefferson County Schools. It's the native the native program that's Jeff there. Co. Jeffco Native handles Denver and sort of the surrounding areas, and we had like 30 native kids. It's run by, right now, or at least in the summertime, uh, one of the coordinators is, is our very own Christina Badhand, who does comic books for INC and Native Realities and has her own company called Create Aya, which is uh, working towards doing comic books for Native kids to promote literacy and healthy behaviors and whatnot. And she had all these wonderful Native kids. They were all in day glow green, came to our booth. And there was just this moment where we just got inundated. And we were back there at the booth. And she's all like, I'm on my way. And I'm like, OK. And I get over there to the booth. And then all of a sudden, we just have this influx of all these little Native kids from Denver and the surrounding areas just in the booth. And they're looking at this stuff. And they're so happy. And I've got the camera going. And it's just like, do you like this? And they're like, yeah. And they're so excited to be there. And then then they all split up and left. And it just felt like this empty space. Like, all of a sudden, there was, like, no one left. And then it was like, what just happened? Well, it was like, oh, it was just like a native kid tornado. I don't even know how this played out. So it was, that was one of the super highlights, I think, for the, the booth um, for the day. And then, of course, we had, our, um, we had our session that day. I think it was A is for Appropriation mm -hmm. was our presentation that day. So we had a really good conversation a number of folks came up to the booth afterwards and really appreciated that we really kind of gave them a good definition of what appropriation was and how they can just be much more aware. I'm, you know, I mean, it's I don't know if you can ever stomp it out, but just being much more aware of when they appropriate, especially when they appropriate native native culture, you know, and native uh, various native aspects. So hmm. interesting. All right. Since you mentioned the the panels there. Uh, just just now. What were some of the other panels you did? I know you did yep. three. And, we uh, had four, actually. You did four? Yeah. Okay. So well, then I definitely missed Yeah. Day one was A is for appropriation. Day two was 
Comic of Nerds Color? of Color, because we had two on Sunday. So Comic Nerds of Color, and then Sunday was... Sunday uh, was the Tricksters. Was top five, and then in the afternoon we did... I missed that one. Yeah, you missed the last one, and that one was Rise of the Indigenerd. Ah, uh, right. So... Yeah, so those were the four. We had four panels. So the first one was A's for Appropriation. Second one was Comic Nerds of Color, which we had a really great turnout for. We brought in our boy from Denver, Panama Soweto. Great comic nerd, longtime friend, super awesome national champion, like slam poet, dude renaissance too, dude, just like straight artist, up. poet, rapper, skateboarder stuff. Like. Yeah, yeah, he's a straight. He's he's a straight up G. I mean, there is no way. Uh, else to describe him so he came in on that panel with us and we had the chance to really create i actually i think that was my favorite panel seeing the number of people we had in the room and all these people of color all these brown faces that were in the room was just awesome and people that were there and it was like and it was such a change for me the a's appropriation because we had a lot of white folk in that room and it was just the flip with comic nerds of color so really creating this space for people to come out and kind of hear our reflections but also for them to kind of talk ask questions and and chime in and and just find a space where they could be represented that was i think the highlight of the panels for me well, it was just good seeing like a lot of brown people, like brown faces, black and brown faces. I got the sense in the first panel that there was a lot of folks that were like working on something, you know. <laughs> yeah, that was the so that was the tutorial panel. That for was that was the who tutorial. To, like, just yeah, double check their uh, totally their yeah. racism. Just totally. real quick, just like let me run this by you, brown guy. <laughs> Um, yeah. I'm not going to listen to you, right. but I just... I'm writing this book about Mayans. Can that, you guys just like check it out? Did you get one? No, did you get somebody dude. like that? Uh, there was one lady who was asking lady. about uh, creating a character who was uh, some kind of Mexican Indian. She wasn't sure if he, want, if he was going to be Mayan or Aztec or something, because I had been talking about that, and she was like, well, I'm creating this character. And I was like, maybe stick to writing what you know. Maybe you don't know, like, Aztec mythologies and maybe, you know, maybe write about, like, wherever you're from. Right. Uh, but she would, she didn't get it. I don't think she, no. she wasn't paying attention. Uh, probably not. But, the yeah, the Comic Nerds of Color, I think, was, was the best one. Because um, then we actually, when we opened it up and we started kind of having a conversation with folks in the, the crowd. Yeah. Um, and yeah, a lot of, like, a lot of black nerds had their perspectives uh, talking about uh, the one guy, the guy that was talking about the Falcon. And mm-hmm. how Falcon started mm-hmm. out as a pimp. Um, <laughs> That's right. I remember talking that. about like even these characters that are black have to go like have to be a pimp or have to be like Nick Cage or, or I mean Luke Cage. Nick Cage. Nick Cage. <laughs> <laughs> Luke Cage. Um, so that was really cool because I, I think we don't get those spaces to have those conversations. Um, or we, you know, we, we get called racists. Right, of reverse, course. Reverse, reverse racists. racists. Don't, don't forget, it's reverse uh, racism. You know, because Lord forbid we create our own spaces to have our own conversation. Right. So. But yeah, that was really cool, just seeing like... What, you mean You mean other people aren't allowed color. to have those conversations? Well, you can, but you have to have let white people in them, and you have to listen to all their perspectives. Because they're super sad, otherwise... Well, yeah, and they, you know, obviously they're experts at like... Being black in America, right? It's not all <laughs> white people. Native in America. Since this is a podcast that goes out to the world. We understand that many, <laughs> we have many wonderful allies out there, many nerd allies. But we just want to say that not everybody has to be a part of every conversation. It's okay. It's okay. To or let if us you have are, just stuff you can come in and. Uh, but just understand, we're going to talk about you know nerds of color and not like like the the rainbow coalition of nerd nerdness. You know, that's always what I run into. It's like. You know, running into a native school and people are like, why are we doing this like this? I'm like, it's a native school. This is right. a native comic. Of course I'm not going to have. Why do I need to have right. these other characters? I'm writing native characters. That's cool. There's a plenty of other characters out there in the world for you. Right. I guarantee it. Anyway. I just want a white sidekick. Like, <laughs> I just, what would you call that white sidekick? What would his name be? Would it, something white lightning. Yeah, the it's it's got to be something with white in front of it because, right. you know, this it's got to be the uh, white hood. We got to reel this back in because we're starting to get into the initiated a little bit. But just for the uninitiated folks, the reason why we're chuckling about this is because there was a tendency within comic books throughout the years is the black characters always had to be referenced by that color. So it was Black Panther, Black Goliath, Black what else? There was like Black, black Lightning, Black Lightning. So there was always something that sort of referenced them, and you know they Red broke Wolf. out of that. Yeah, Red Wolf, exactly. So you, 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 there was a color type of thing. So we're uh, we're giggling at that for the for the uninitiated. Uh, we don't want to veer too far into into our nerd nerdiness. So, 
Uh, we just want to. No, no, it's okay. We just wanted to. You know, we just got to remember our audience, right? You know, it's, it's going to be a lot of uh, people that have no idea what we're talking about, and they'll be like, "Haha, they're all laughing at me." And then they'll be really sad at us. We podcast. love white people. Some of my best friends are white. That's nice. That was good. Just I think that's great. Like, yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> I remember I got there late. So I got there on day two. And I, it was a very cool experience for me because uh, I've only gone to Albuquerque Comic Con, which really isn't the biggest Comic Con around. No. Um, hey, we had Stan Lee two years in a row. That wasn't <laughs> yeah, the Comic Con. Yeah, I guess it's pretty great. That no, was the no. Comic Expo. That no longer yeah, exists. Yeah, that was Ace. And that was no, yeah, that's gone now. But uh, it was really it was really cool seeing all these uh, people in one place. And then it was also cool seeing just, I guess, Lee Francis's booth there on the floor. Thank you. And yes. uh, and so I ended up staying there the whole day. I remember like kind of just getting, kind of taking a mental inventory of all the different kind of responses I'd get from people about what we were doing there. So I was wondering if you guys remember any particular responses or like conversations you had with people that sort of stood out with you when you were working the booth at all. I spent 25 minutes talking to a guy from Wyoming on Sunday who really, him and his partner really wanted just as much information as they could about really good native material that they could use in their classroom. And that was really, I love being able to talk about, I love being able to talk about pop culture, but native books and really good native authors for for, for kids. And this is going to be non-native kids. So this is just a general audience, right? And I was like, I love being able to talk about that because I can tell them and point them in the right direction. This is who you need to read. This is some of the good stuff. Some of it we've got here, some of it we don't. You know, obviously we're going to try and sell our comic books, but it's it, that was just such a great conversation with, with us. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got a lot of walking around, and then people would see like the vendor badge and be like, "Oh, what are you vending?" Yeah, and then having those conversations with the other vendors. And maybe it's because I'm a racist, but I, I kind of flock towards <laughs> reverse, like the black and the racist. Latino artists, you know, and the the yeah. women artists, and just kind of checking out a lot of their works. And so they would be like, "Oh, what are you guys doing?" Like, "Oh, well, we're working with uh, Native Realities in the INC booth and stuff." So those conversations were really good. Yeah especially with the black and Latino kind of comics, uh, comic creators and, and authors and stuff who were like, oh, yeah, we'd really love to see a Latino whatever or a, mm-hmm. a black comic creators thing. And so they were super interested in the indigenous uh, comic con coming up. So I think those were really cool conversations just to be having with people who are creating stuff and trying to figure out, like, how do they create a foothold in an industry that's generally pretty closed off or has been traditionally to black and brown folks, right. minorities. I kind of speak as well to that. That's mostly the folks that I try and support when I go to cons as totally. well. I spent so much money with like... Yeah. <laughs> the only other thing I bought was a whole bunch of monster stuff because I thought that was cool and it just gave me good ideas. But uh, everything else, you know, I look for, and primarily I look for the ones that are actually doing, you know, full comics or if they've got a full product. Yeah, so totally. Because I think that's the part that need you know, breaking into the industry, the the thing that needs to be supported is at the end of the day, it's about sales. Right. So if, right. if we can help folks out and they're working towards creating a comic book or they're working towards right. getting something out in the market that can help change minds and change perceptions. Right. You know, that's, that's, so I'm, I'm, I was totally, well, and they, love they, those conversations. They know too, right? And you, cause yep. you feel it as like people who have to deal with some of the, those like barriers, yep. racism, sexisms and stuff. Uh, specifically, my partner Stephanie was looking for representations of women of color. Yeah. It was very, very, very difficult to find, <laughs> even at Denver Comic Con, which is yep. like super progressive Comic Con, very education oriented, and has like a diversity tract, you know, like diversity is one of their things. Yeah. And so she was asking when we would stop to talk to folks, like, I'm looking for stuff with women of color in it. And they could point her to, like, oh, you're looking for this one person a couple couple aisles over because they knew exactly right. like there's two people here selling that kind of material. This guy and this lady. Go talk to them. And it's it's a it's a weird dynamic even mm-hmm. at Denver Comic Con, right? Which is the very progressive Comic yeah. Con and has a reputation as being so. You yeah. know, Nez. What conversations did you have that you enjoyed? I didn't have any conversations. I was too busy selling comics. Good. So, that's there you go. I don't know what you guys are talking Good man. about. Yeah, and you were there for what, like a day and a half, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we had, yeah, I was like, we had a little more time too. We had it was it's you know, it is intense. It's selling for ten hours a day and you're 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 there at the booth. So it, I tell my wife, it's not something where I'm just going up and and lounging around the con and like walking <laughs> around. I was like, we were on our feet for ten hours. I did yes. not sit down. I did not sit down all of Friday. 
I think I maybe sat yeah. down a little bit on Saturday, and I'm you know, doing. We were doing a lot of networking. We're talking with other booths. We we're trying to get. We got um, had the great chance to meet Tim Truman, Timothy Truman, who's the illustrator for Scout S C O U T, not the Scalped, uh, the other comic book, native comic book out there by non-native guys. So. And he's got such a great reputation. He was such a great guy. We're going to have him come in and do some some workshops for us with the Comic-Con, um, with the Indigenous Comic-Con, because he did such a great job. You know, he's, he's been academically vetted by Mike Shiasi with his book, The Native Americans in, in Comic Books, and just a genuinely nice dude. And I'm like, again, we got to remember that much as we joke around it here, those folks that are going to be allies, those folks that get it, we got to have them working with us. We can't, right. we can't shut them down simply because they may have maybe made a couple of steps. We make missteps all the time. I mean, there's Native folks that write weird stuff out the door. So the whole point is that we want to bring these kinds of folks in. So it was a really great chance to meet with him. Steve Lealoha, who's uh, you know Hawaiian, he's the he's an illustrator, did a lot of work on fables and work in his own right. Great guy, always great to meet him. He came to the booth last year. So that was another great conversation that I had and, and, inv- and trying to get him to come on out. So hopefully we'll get him as one of our guests too. Awesome. I definitely had like some very in-depth conversations with people while I was at work in the booth, but honestly, it was just the same conversation that I had. So it was the same in-depth conversation I kept having over and over. Were they like, why are you here? <laughs> yeah. What is this? Something like that. Native comics. We've been making these comics for hundreds of years. Are now, you so. really native? Yeah. What tribe are you from? What tribe are you from? Or the guy that walked by that uh, Jason, my buddy Jason was telling me this. Jason's not native He's a great, great dude. I've known him for years. He's really supportive. He came up to help the booth. We gave him a little space to sell some of his books uh, called The Tiniest Vampire. And, Which is uh, really awesome. It's really great. That's it's super really fun. Cool. It's monsters and poems and, and really cute. Uh, there was a point early on, I think it was Friday morning, and not everybody had made it up yet. So I know, Rodrigo, you were kind of on your way, and Renee had to step out, and Nez, you didn't come in until Saturday. So it was Jason alone watching the booth. So here's, and he's a pretty white looking white guy, you know, and I, and I love him. He's, he's my brother and, but he's like watching the booth and apparently some native guy came by and looked at it and was like, what's this all about? And Jason's like, well, uh, I'm not the guy to talk about it. Guy's coming back. He's like, probably not even native anyway. And then just like walked on and I was like, dang, I wish I had been there when the guy had said something. Cause that was, that would have been awesome. And like, actually families from Laguna Pueblo and we this is all native artists and this is what we're repping but uh, that was I think one of my favorite pass through and Jason was all like dude you can't leave me alone in this booth anymore we always have to have a brown person next to me <laughs> I was like all right man I'll make sure we're staffed I'll he make was, sure we're staffed he was the white sidekick he was my white sidekick yeah there he is living the dream white lightning living the dream let's so, jump uh, into what it what did you guys what did you guys uh, what did you guys manage to haul from the comic con Oh, like what we brought home? Yeah, what'd you bring home? So I spent a bunch on this stuff called Monster Scouts for my little boy. Uh, so it was this great booth that was set up that, and actually just a really good sales model. But does it's a lot of graphic design, making monsters and stuff. And then the guy was like, well, we wanted to try and figure out how to bring repeat business. So I started this thing called the Monster Scouts. And so we still sell the posters, but now we sell badges and bags and you know you get to be a monster scout and, and i went online and there's so much more crap to buy and i'm yeah, so excited totally. about buying that for the kid it was really awesome rodrigo saw it i was like this, this is, is cool. a genius idea yeah. um so that was some of my haul let's see i bought uh, i picked up a comic from action lab picked up a couple of prints a few things for my wife you know i i tend to go a little bit small except i just got suckered by that monster scouts thing so that was my biggest haul I uh, I bought a little house. bit of everything. Yeah, <laughs> you were I pulling spent... you were pulling in stuff every day. I, I had you... so much so much money that I spent. You had um, a stack. Call it research. A ton. We bought. I bought a ton of prints and stuff. And I was specifically looking for, like always, because I'm a racist. Uh, Refer- like, reverse racist. Reverse racist. Okay. Yes. Uh, like cool representations of like superheroes of color and stuff. So I bought a bunch of Black Panther prints. Um, I always spend money with artists of color. We bought some cool, like, monster coloring books from a dude named Joe Bla Blazo from El Paso. And he just had really cool, freaked out monsters and stuff. He had a really cool one of a luchador called El Super Cool Jefe. Ton of prints. Ton of prints. And then I caught up on some comic book stuff that I needed to, to finish my collections. I bought the, I was missing like two and three of Batman and the Ninja Turtles. 
Yeah, and then we bought a bunch of like indie comics. Stephanie bought some stuff around some uh, roller derby comics that are like all, all you know, obviously all women and a lot of women of color, but they're like they fight monsters and zombies and stuff, and they also have a roller derby team. So she was pretty excited about that, and it's really cool art. That's we awesome. bought all kinds of stuff. Yeah, cool. It's sick. Did you pick up anything, Ness? I'm not good when it comes to promoting Same. other indie artists, so all I bought were posters. Excellent. <laughs> I bought like three or four posters, and they're all your typical mainstream comic stuff. I uh, bought... We found one guy from Santa Fe, uh, something Sice, yeah, Joe Sice, right. amazing yeah. artist, but he did a series of prints of the Ninja Turtles. That's right. All wearing uh, Colorado sports teams jerseys. Yeah. So, like, all with the same color. So, the Leonardo was the Nuggets. Uh, Michelangelo was the Broncos, Raphael was the Avalanche, and uh, Donatello was the Rockies. Right. So then all the colors worked out perfectly, and when you put them together, it makes the Denver skyline. So I was like super, because I'm originally from Denver, so I super nerded out over that, and I needed to buy all of them, and I I did. Oh, I, I did get a copy of, uh, I think, the the all-new Ghost Rider, which is Ooh. with, um, no, no, I mean, I have, I have the poster. The giant, okay. for the the number one cover post or the cover for the number one, and it looks sick. I think it's uh, I don't remember who the artist for the poster for the cover is. Isn't but that Ghost Rider Mexican or something? Yeah, yeah. The new Ghost Rider. Unfortunately, yeah. I think it's getting canceled. Oh yeah, it well, was so sick, Red Wolf. Red Wolf's getting canceled as well. So did it? Yeah. You should. You should. I think that's terrible. I like Both of those things are terrible. I didn't even get a chance to read that Ghost Ghost Rider comic. I, know. I just heard the other day he was Mexican. I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a stretch of like there's one fight in it where it's like a stretch of like maybe two pages that there's no words on it and it's all action. It looks sick. sick. Yeah, I've always liked Ghost should. Rider, and there's I think a lot of story that could be told told there with like the Mexican biker gangs, you know? Yeah. Well, he drives a car. In this Not one. that he should be killing like Mexicans, is like, but is he ghost low rider? Sorry, that was reverse racist. My bad. My bad. Ghost low rider. Yeah. Sorry. My Actually, bad. That sounds cool. That would be awesome. That's, no. that's basically what it was. He was driving cool. like a muscle car. In this this one. is what I'm talking about. This is our critical nerd theory. Is stuff that we find super stereotypical. We look at it. We're just like that. Still would be oh, awesome though to cool, have him. On. <laughs> that's our family. We know who that is. We yeah. totally want him riding like that. There's a game, Grim Fandango. Yeah, yeah. That, right? I haven't played Manny, it, but I have Manny it. Calabetta. Yeah. So I love that game. I had never, because I was kind of like, oh, this is going to be lame. And then I downloaded it a few months ago on PlayStation Network, and it's like the greatest It's game. a great game. I like it a lot. It's a lot of Chicano language, you know, a lot of <laughs> yep. like, orale, like stuff that, yep. you know, and it doesn't get qualified. So right. if you don't know what it means, you don't know what it means, right. you know? You just roll with it. Yeah. Which is what you're supposed to do. Right. Just roll with it, right. play the game, and enjoy it. See, people don't get that. Oh, I got a New Mutants poster with, like, the biggest picture of, like, Danny Moonstar oh, nice. pointing an arrow at you. It's cool. Excellent. Yeah, that's huge. It's, like, movie-sized. So, in other words, we, we all scored stuff. It was great. Yeah. Awesome. Personal highlights, and what was the best cosplay you saw? Let's see. Mm. The be- <laughs> Actually, I took a video. My favorite cosplay of there was this little, um, like, outside the car washes. They've got those blow-up inflatable things. Oh, yeah. And they, they kind of, like, fall down. And the wheelie arm they guys. Pop, the wheelie arm guys. Waving arm inflatable arms, man. Yeah, you know what like that, that is? Somebody, somebody cosplayed as that. <laughs> that was so... I, I was like... that. I like really original stuff. That's like that's like weird nerd, you know. It's like because yeah. you see so many. It was like we we played con bingo, and it was like how many, how many Harley Quinns can you right. see? How many Deadpool are going to be there? And this is not, I don't want to spike anybody out there, but it's just like you know you see a lot of them. Right. So I'm like, okay, I, I got that. And you've done a really good job on that. And you've done a really good job on that. But I really like when somebody's just like, I'm going to be something <laughs> I'm really be the inflatable, totally arms guy. out of the <laughs> like not even in your thought process, not even like in quite in nerd culture. The so, Velociraptor was great. The Velociraptor, was, the Jesus, or the... The, uh, the Jesus the Velociraptor. Zealot, the Zealot Velociraptor. That was also awesome. He had a big sign that said, like, we went extinct for your sins for, or something. For I am a Jurassic God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he was really good. There was one, two ladies dressed in Civil War era, like, dresses. Oh, like you told me about this. dresses with the, the big, you know, the big cage. Yeah. The anti... Poofy the, skirt the thing. Postbellum. The anti... Yeah. Yeah, the, the antebellum South. One was dressed... As uh, Captain America, one was dressed as Iron Man. Yeah, that's cool. And they were dressed in Civil War. Who did you see, Ness? Cool. I saw one mask cosplay. Oh yeah, and he had like oh, this the giant huge hammer. Giant hammer. hammer. Yes, it was, like, 10 I saw feet that too. Tall. It yeah. was sick. And it was funny because me and Adam were like talking about the mask right before that. I was like, "Where's the mask cosplayers? <laughs> we need more of those." So I was like, "Oh wait." Here he comes walking down our aisle There's right now. There's the one guy. But it was like a croquet mallet, I think. 
Yeah. We were talking about that, which yeah. made it better. There was one group of kids dressed as Pac-Man and the ghosts. They would chase each other around, or they would chase Pac-Man. And then after a little while, they would all, like, stop, and they would flip their boards around and to become the, like, blue, the blue, blue uh, ghosts, and then he would chase them around. Genius. And they did that all day on Friday. <laughs> and I was like, those awesome. kids are the best because they're having so much <laughs> fun, are. like, yeah. just chasing each other around. And then, like, okay, stop. <laughs> Power ballot. And they changed each other, <laughs> chased him instead. It was great. Those kids were fun. All righty. Well, are we, I think are we here at the end of our Denver? Yeah, this is the coming to the end of our Denver Comic Con wrap up, and I think um, that's yeah. It was a great time, and we yep. all had a lot of fun, and we hope to uh, continue our adventures or NCBS's members' adventures at Comic Con, and we'll, a lot of us will be at the next Indigenous Comic Con. Yep. Thanks, Nez, for guiding us through this, and Rodrigo, and both you fellas for coming up to Denver Comic Con. Yeah, thanks for it including was really, us. Really, like even just at the booth side, it was great to have you know, friends and people that, that can kind of talk about this stuff. And you guys did a really good job on, on pitching, pitching the, the merch. And I think that's also like, you know, also really important. I mean, it's not just showing up for the con and, and talking to folks, but it's making sure we get the work in people's hands. So I just want to thank you guys for being there and all of the crew that came up. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for having us. So, <laughs> well, thanks fellas. Alrighty. I appreciate the time. Awesome. Thank you guys. That brings us to the end of this uh, uninitiated half of this podcast. And uh, we'll be, uh, Talking to you guys later. Aho. Have a good day. Is that good? Aho. Aho. Warning. The Native Comic Book Society podcast, The Initiated, contains material intended for mature audiences. Spoilers, adult language, adult themes, and complicated topics may be discussed. While Native Comic Book Society does encourage reading and critical thought, our sense of humor is very extreme and our jokes are highly contextual. Do not try them at home or without your parents' permission. Enjoy. You know what I think I'm going to do then? Just for the hell of it. Tell me. I'm going to take this right foot, and I'm going to whop you on that side of your face. And you want to know something? There's not a damn thing you're going to be able to do about it. Really? Really? Kill that Indian son of a bitch. This episode of The Initiated, we will be having a roundtable, open forum discussion. I am James Simmermeyer, along with Naz Evans, Rodrigo Rodriguez, and Adam Martinez. And today we are going to be talking about Daredevil, the television series Jessica Jones, the new Black Panther comic, and sprinkling in a little bit of Civil War and a lot of inappropriate humor. Welcome. Let's, let's do some Daredevil stuff. What do you guys want to do for Daredevil? Spoiler free for her. Spoiler, Monica has left the building. That's the last thing on my list. All right, right, Monica, let us know. Are you, tell it, is it safe now? Okay. All right, it's safe to talk about Daredevil. (laughs) So are we recording or no? Yeah, we're recording. We're recording. recording. It's just that Monica had to leave because of the spoiler. Yeah. Okay. I can't do I don't have a very good kingpin voice. Are we doing it right now? Uh, everybody got to dive in with their kingpin. All right. We have to dive in with our kingpin well, impression. I'm going for the 90s kind of Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, uh, That's sp- the real kingpin. <laughs> yes. This other private pile motherfucker's got to go. <laughs> I liked him at first, but I don't like him no more. I don't like his voice. I like I like his look. Because he's huge? Yeah. Because he weighs like 800 pounds? Heck yeah. <laughs> and you know that in the, in the comic book, he's actually pure muscle. Yeah, yeah, he says that. In the, yeah, in the, the in Spider-Man the, TV show, he was like beating up all those new Yeah, because he's if Michael Clark Duncan, mm. Private Pile, and the dude <laughs> from the Spider-Man from the Spider-Man early '90s cartoon series had a child together, that would be the perfect kingpin. Mm. The, this is weird casting for that character. Well, he's like a man-child. Like, history is like weird. they have him with like a weird man-child complex. Well, that's about, like yeah, he's like totally him. like this. Yeah, he's trying to be like a full adult, but he's just like a a kid, like in that man's body. We're still talking about Daredevil, Uh, and that's why he like has that weird psycho thing going on because he's just like a kid. You know, he doesn't know how to deal with his emotions like outside of being a child. That's why like he has those temper tantrums. He also has shitty taste in fine art. Yeah, I'm gonna say that. I like white walls. I like it. It reminds me of my childhood. (laughs) Vanessa, get white. I love you. (laughs) Yeah.
<laughs> with Herc from The Wire. I love that dude. The guy who played his dad was a character on The Wire named Oh, Herc. was he? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I like that guy. One series I missed out on still. What do you guys think about the mommy issues in all the Marvel series? The Netflix Marvel series, everybody's got mommy issues. Well, Matt's more of a dad issue, right? They don't talk about Daredevil's mom. Like, what happened? Did she die? Oh, or yeah. During birth, or did she just bail on the family? Like Catholics, so immaculate conception. Yeah, right. The dad. <laughs> the dad. <laughs> the dad. <laughs> I, I came into this tissue, and all of a sudden, the baby was there the next morning. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my oh. God. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> <in> a petri dish. <laughs> so nasty. Yeah. My friend Neil and I were watching the series, hmm. and his wife, Andrea, was like, I can't handle this. I got to go. So I tell her, you know, this is basically like soap operas for boys. Mm-hmm. Totally. With all the emotional, like, mommy issues, daddy issues. Have you watched a CW show, man? Like, The Flash and Arrow. Oh. It's just like, when it's whenever it's not like awesome comic stuff, yeah, it's like Saved by the Bell or, or like Dawson's Creek teen drama, drama, teen drama, you know? And it's like, okay. <laughs> okay, so should we get um, concise subjects that we're going to be talking about? Yeah, I got subjects if you want to. Actually, yeah. So let, let's go through the subjects one by one and see see what we got. We can talk about uh, <laughs> Daredevil Season 2 specifically right now. You want to talk about Daredevil Season 2? Uh, is there anything... To, like in, Electra, dude. Is there Electra's any brown. Yeah, she's brown. She's but Greek. just generally, the show is like racist. Saving brown people and like... Orientalism. Tell us, tell us Rodrigo, yeah. why, is, why is the show racist? We had the guest Mikey... <laughs> I, I remember Point Bank said, Mikey, how is Iron Fist not racist? It's, it's a big mess. Iron Fist is going to be a mess forever. Yeah. Well, how, okay, so season two. Why is a racist character. Why is season two racist? The whole thing with the ninjas. And I get that that was like in the comics. Yeah. It's just, they're just like massacring brown people. And that's like, that's pretty par for the course in like action movies and like Americanisms. I get it. But it's not cool. The lawyer characters are annoying as fuck. When they're not, like, when he's not in his Daredevil costume, that dude's fucking annoying. And so is his, like, happy-go-lucky partner. Fuck that guy, especially. (laughs) (laughs) I think of James when I watch Foggy. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I am Foggy Nelson. He's, like, lawyer out to change the world. Yeah. Fresh out of law school. And? Defending brown kids. Yeah. (laughs) He knows Spanish. (laughs) He talks superpowers and he knows Spanish. (laughs) Avocado, man. Avocado. (laughs) I'm I'm waiting. I said this before. I think this is probably about the fourth time I've said it. I'm waiting for Karen to die. But it's very cool. (laughs) It's a cool show. Okay? I just... There's so much racism you can't let it, like, fuck your experience up. So... I don't think it's that racist. Maybe it's because I'm light-skinned, but it's... It's because you're half-white. That's your half-white side Te- talking. Technically, I'm a quarter-white. Well, that's your quarter-white side out of that, talking. Out of that quarter-white, an eighth of that is the Irish, so Irish are oppressed people enough, so... And then the other the other eighth is German, who are the oppressors, so... Oh, it was season two, when Karen started hanging out with the black cop, I was like, she's going to get him killed. <laughs> that's what oh exactly what happened with Ben Urich, man. Like, that, that, well, that, that is one thing that upset me about season one, is like... They really did kill, like, the only black character, man. It was like, no fucking way. Like, and Ben Yurick has never died in the comics. Like, he's, like, the yeah. true, he's, like, one of the, like, the linchpins of the bugle to me. In regards to, like, being able to create an issue wherever you need to do, like, a recap issue, you just have, like, Ben Yurick telling the story of the city and stuff like that. So they've never killed him off. And so for them to do that in season one was just, like. And the retcon. So Ben Yurick in the comic is white. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, nobody cared about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like. Johnny Storm is white. Oh, nobody cares about Ben Yurick being white or black. Yeah, so they actually trying to go ahead and diversify, do an intelligent, educated character, make them black, mm-hmm. and then kill them off. And then kill them, yeah. <laughs> Although that funeral scene was badass. That was it. That was about the river. Okay. That's the one. So, yeah, it's not clear from, you know, from cinematic racist tropes, you know, of, like, killing off colored characters before anybody else. I just thought we were else, past all this, like... Like the Friends thing, right? Where they're like in New York City and don't see any black people or brown people. It's like, I thought we were past this, guys. I thought we were out of the 90s. So, and then the ones that show up are always bad guys or little old ladies who need to get saved by these like superheroes. Mm. Whose superpower is to speak Spanish. Speak Spanish and be a lawyer. Yeah. Daredevil's superpower is white privilege, bro. (laughs) Nah, man. So painful. He's from Hell's Kitchen. He's from the hood, man. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Hell's Kitchen's been gentrified since, but they let they got Luke Cage. Yeah, Luke Cage is a resident of the. But this was the '90s. 
I don't think this series doesn't take place in the 90s. You could have fooled me with those well, ninjas, that... man. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is cool. Like, the I ninjas actually, look different my, today. Like Today's my... ninjas are so different. Uh-huh. That was my favorite part, actually. Of uh, It reminded me of like a lot of the Ninja Turtles, which is what we had talked about is like why the Ninja Turtles was a riff off of Daredevil in the yeah, first right. place because of like seeing the ninjas on rooftops and like with the city smoking and the, the water towers. Like, yeah, that's my shit. Like, I grew up, for some reason, those images were like, yeah, they should just do a Ninja Turtles series like this <laughs> on Netflix. And then, that would yeah. actually be awesome. But then, yeah, then he reminded me, he was like, that's why it was made fun. My Ninja Turtles was a, a spoof off of Daredevil because this shit's so goofy. Right. And, but to me, it's like, Stick. Yeah, simula- simulacra or simulation where it's like the thing that was originally being made fun out of and goofy like became – or the thing that was the spoof became popular and then became the image. And it's like, wow, I I want that so badly that now, you know, now that the original source comes out, it's like, oh, this seems a little – I like it. Not to be too tangential, but that's exactly President Camacho, <laughs> like you just said with that – with that thing that I've only heard about in the Matrix, simulacra, sim- in simulation, yeah, yeah, that, kind of well, stuff. D- you know, something starts off as an idea and then becomes a symbol, and then that symbol becomes the idea, and then it becomes distorted in a different way. Like Jesus Christ on your dashboard, you know what I mean? Like people think that's a thing of protection, where it's like, well, no, there's this figure, and there's a whole lesson, things like that, and not like a, yeah. yeah so anyway, and just well, that, that, that's, and that's comics, Catholics, uh, Daredevil, keep it all tied together. <laughs> That's exactly, and that's that's the that's the that's the, I don't know. I, I feel like I feel like we're not fully getting into the Daredevil. I just, I don't know, man. It's not about translation to TV. Also, I think something is lost in the translation. It's on something about in the book. You can get away stuff that seems silly, and it's less silly. But then on TV, all those Netflix series feel like soap operas to me. I like them, but at the same time, I kind of it's not even love hate. I just like think that there's just something slightly off. And maybe you hit the nail on the head, Rodrigo, with the, like, it's racist, it's excessively dramatic, it's, like, silly. It's the acting. Why does Daredevil keep opening his mouth? It's long. Every time, every time he... I don't think they need to be 60 minutes, 45, or whatever minutes it is. Like, it's a, it's too long. It's like 56 sometimes. I think those, the, like, Green Arrow, those, the, like, CW shows that are for broadcast are a little better because they're, like, they're tighter. They have to be tighter. They're only 40 minutes for commercials. Yeah. Hey, that's uh, that's it. Nail, nail and head, man. Because yeah, it's just too. And actually, you know, I watched Jessica. Have you guys watched Jessica Jones? Yeah, I liked it. I liked that one. The feels. I watched every other episode, and I liked it. If I watched every single episode, I don't think I would have liked it. Huh? Purple Man, man, that dude. Was... Jessica. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is an awesome villain, dude. That dude yeah. is scary oh, as. Way to turn something that, like, you kn- the purple band, something that you wouldn't think is freaky, but, like, oh, wow, yeah, that's, like, a terrifying. Are we done with Daredevil? Can we get Monica in on, on the on the Jessica Jones conversation? Because, yeah. honestly, all right, my male privilege kind of thing. What's wrong with that? Yeah, well, if we get Jessica in, we can also talk about Jessica Jones and then possibly the Defenders, if you want, I just want to talk about that, you too. Call her Jessica. Yeah. 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 Luke Cage. <laughs> Tribe Called Quest and Luke Cage. Oh, yeah. oh he's doing the uh, Tribe Called Quest. Well, yeah, they're doing the the score the for the series. Two thirds of Tribe Called Quest. You asshole. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> an asshole, James. So I guess we gotta try not to spoil Daredevil. Daredevil. Okay. Too much. Yeah. Well, we'll ask her what's up with Jessica Jones and the Night Nurse. Today we are talking about Jessica Jones. I don't really know very much about it other than I watched maybe the first season a little bit. There's only one season. I don't know. Uh, Actually, this is one of seven. You have like six more to go. <laughs> no. No, yeah. On Netflix? Or? No, no, I'm just kidding. No, he's just kidding. Season. Yeah, there's only one season. <laughs> Basically, everything that comes out of Nez's mouth is a lie. So. <laughs> no way. He's a Loki. I, would, I, I haven't lied at all, ever. <laughs> all right, so what's the deal with Jessica Jones? Is she some kind of anti-hero? Or... Yeah. Um, she, I believe, uh, started off as a, a Max imprint. Um, so Max is Marvel's uh, adult reader content. So it's like adult-only characters will swear. There's a different level of violence, a different level of like maturity and yeah, sexuality that occurs in the, in the different series. So I think she was the first in the line other than that I don't know there might have been like Garth Ennis's, uh Punisher 
uh, line or something. But yeah, Jessica Jones created in the early 2000s, rated R title about a private investigator who tried to become a superhero and something went wrong and she's just kind of like damaged from it. And, and so she doesn't wear the costume anymore. And this is like her life being a private investigating alcoholic, I guess. How did she tried to become a... I thought she was kidnapped and... Uh, well, the way... Uh, it was like she had her powers and tried... She was a hero and everything. And I think this was like... A, it wasn't revealed in the original series. It came out as like a one-off, like the secret origins of Jessica Jones. Showed that she was an old hero. And I don't know if the show... If this happened like it did in the show, but in the show it's like she got taken over by the Purple Man and he was using her for... You know, to kill people and to hurt people. And I don't know if that's what happened in the comic or not. I she remember, had failed miserably. Yeah, and, I remember watching it and, and texting James and saying, okay, I'm sorry, did she get her superpowers from being raped? Because that's really oh, what it no. seemed like to me. No, no, she, yeah, she just had, had them. a weird rapey vibe. Um, I don't know where they're going in the show. Like, there's this whole weird thing in the MCU right now where it's like the people are inhumans or they're not. Jessica Jones introduced, like, the shadow company that, like, might be giving people their powers somehow. I think it all ties into uh, the Captain America. Super okay, so that's serum. this yeah. group of people. Then can you help me out here? Because I'm, mm-hmm. is is Spider Man going to show up or not? Well, in the Civil War, yeah, and now he's been purchased back by Marvel and Disney, so they own his rights. So they're putting him in this new Civil War movie. Like, in Jessica Jones, when they're talking about like the city was destroyed or those mm-hmm. other people and stuff like, who are they talking about? Like, it's Batman. Talking about the Avengers, or... the Avengers stuff. Yeah. Okay, who yeah. is in the Avengers? They just ruin everything, so everybody's <laughs> kind of cleaning up after them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So like the Avengers movie is like the big catalyst for all the Netflix series stuff. So whenever they talk about the incident or the damage right. or those others, they're talking about the Avengers and the, and the big battle that happened in the first movie. It makes it so difficult. I mean, I want to get into it, but I'm hmm. like, there's this secret I don't know about that. <laughs> you gotta go watch like six other movies. Yeah, so if I it. wanted to understand, like, I saw Avengers Age of Ultron and I was like, what the Completely fuck lost. is going on here? Yes. So, how many movies? Actually, I've I'll just seen write all the this movies down. and I had that same <laughs> oh, no. reaction. I've read some of the comics too, but I've, I was like, what the fuck is all of this? I've never liked Ultron. Okay, so what, what movies like do I need to see program? to understand this stuff? You got about 10 movies to go back and watch. It's a big mess. Uh, I would say Iron Man and Captain America and maybe the Incredible Hulk for like a throwaway line about like so a lot of the the stuff it seems like they're building out in the MCU comes from trying to recreate Captain America's super soldier serum thing because it only worked on him and so it seems like all, so they're, they're saying the Hulk started with it. Yeah, the reason. No like, idea what's going on. Yeah, so back in the yeah, so Captain America's origin story, he was like this, you know, non-athletic, always sick kind of guy who was trying to get into the army to go fight the Nazis, but they wouldn't let him. But he had like the good spirit. Uh, so they gave him a uh, what we would call steroids today. Uh, <clears throat> they gave him, you know, a performance-enhancing drug that made his body awesome and. It endowed him with all these powers and strength, and as soon as he came out, a Nazi scientist killed the American scientist that, you know, he's the only one with all the knowledge and stuff, so it was lost. They couldn't recreate it. They've been trying to recreate it in the MCU. It seems like the Hulk, for example, came from the government trying to recreate the Captain America serum, but it didn't work out, and... So we've got a Hulk going on, and uh, that's where like the villain from the Hulk comes in. It reflects like whatever is inside of you, mm-hmm. uh, and so since David Banner's always angry, or Bruce Banner's always angry, that's why he came out like the Hulk. But anyway, Jessica Jones. I think this government thing that they introduced at the end there is like trying to recreate the Captain America serum, and they're trying to say that all these other people are are, are the subjects of that. I don't know. The boyfriend, like, well, she's not. He's not her boyfriend, but yeah. but that guy, her buddy. Her buddy, her special friend. You say he's just a friend. Yeah, uh-huh. Luke Cage? The the guy that had her kidnapped for a while and everything, who who is in um, that Doctor Who that everybody likes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so. You're cool. I like that. Uh, yeah, I don't know any names either, but I know who that is. Purple Man. His name's Purple Man? Yeah, from the cop. Yeah, the comic skin's actually purple. Yeah, it, it's a good thing. Yeah. So. The, Why did they? He's the sh- totally white. 
Like, he's not purple in the... Yeah, well, they make him dress in purple and stuff. It's yeah, purple suits. It looks better on page than it would in the screen, maybe. <laughs> this is, co- comics are not the most, like, you know, serious kind of thing when mm. it comes to costumes and whatnot. This is You the should problem. see Jessica Jones's old costume. It looks ridiculous. Well, and he was created probably, like, back in the 60s or something. You know, like, it was the idea of this writer taking this, like, character that from the 60s, it seems hokey, purple man, regent, can make you do whatever, but then, like, put, like, a weird horror aspect to it. You know? Okay, is the idea when you create these, like series on Netflix and stuff like that that we're going to get everyone so excited they're going to go back and read the comics because I have like no interest in reading the comics now if you're going to change. No, I, I think they're adapting. What The big thing is like they're actually adapting a lot of the more famous stories uh, into the on-screen stuff. So like mm-hmm. the Jessica Jones uh, series is almost like exactly the the 12 issue whatever series uh comic book series like just shot onto screen mm-hmm. um kind of like with daredevil uh season one was like a lot of frank miller stories uh his like run on daredevil uh, so it's like less stan lee-esque and more like frank miller origin stories uh, and straight up like they just like straight up took like some imagery like right, right from the panels um so yeah Marvel's doing that in regards to like adapting more of the popular stories into screen and I don't know that's the big question I don't see people go into the comic book shop more often you know what I mean it's like <clears throat> the numbers of ticket sales are not translating over to the numbers of books being sold um, regardless of the marketing ploys that they try you know like when Guardians of the Galaxy came out and got famous every Guardian now has their own book Right. I think comics is more of like a like a niche industry. Like the toys is where they make big money. The movies are making billions of dollars. So it's more about driving the characters and then whatever mediums those characters. Sometimes it's the toys that are huge. Sometimes it's the comics. Sometimes it's the, the movies. It's all, you know, it's Disney now. So it's it's straight marketing. It's got nothing to do with the storytelling anymore. Do you think that they created Jessica Jones to try and get women more interested in... Or is that character really for the male demographic? Uh, I think it worked because just from noticing on uh, Facebook, girls were watching Jessica Jones. Not so much Supergirl, um, but they were watching Jessica Jones. And I think that they can relate because it's not part of the language, but, you know, she drinks, she smokes, she fucks. Mm-hmm. Like, she's a woman. She, you know, is damaged, you know. She is not prissy, you know. And even if she is a damsel in distress sometimes, she doesn't need you to save her. Like, and if she does, it's her sister that comes or something like that. You know, she has... A pool of strong women to be with. So yeah, I I, I think it, it was a good thing, you know. And I, yeah, I noticed more women were watching the show. And my mom, she was like, "Oh, I love it." And she calls her January Jones. Like so sometimes she's like, "I love that." Let me know when that January Jones show comes. I was like Jessica Jones, but yeah, I'll, I'll let you know when the next season yeah, comes yeah. on out. But you know, but yeah. So I totally. Think, yeah. I think it's a. Uh... I think it's also pretty savvy on their part because they know they're working with multiple demographics. Mm -hmm. So they're working with guys like us, like millennials who have some expendable income. Not just kids anymore because I think it started off like big summer blockbuster, Mm Spider-Man. And now it's more, there's still that element, but it's there's these grittier stories that they're telling to a mature audience. And also, yeah, trying to get women interested because it's, you know, it's this huge, huge market that they're missing out on because it's, you know, they show it's mostly young men going to these comic book movies. Civil War. Black what do we what do we want to talk about specifically Black Panther? So the, the, he's coming. Whoa. So a quick rundown review of Black Panther. The new issue. Yeah. Issue one. That's because it's being re relaunched. Relaunched. Okay. Relaunched. New author. Okay. Tanahasi Coates, man. Okay. He's from Baltimore. <laughs> Baltimore, man. Baltimore represent. All right. Book hey. kind of meh on the book. So so. Uh, but the the author, I really like the author. The uh, the author of the new Black Panther is Ta-Nehisi Coates. He's a, a staff writer with the Atlantic magazine. He's also really well known for writing about racial justice issues. He wrote a book, uh, well, turned into a book. It was really just like an open letter essay to his son called Between the World and Me, hmm. um, talking about being like a young black man growing up in the United States and all the kind of stuff that 
he'll have to deal with as he grows up. It's really he's really great author. It was more compelling to me like that story than the actual story in the book of like taking this kind of mainstream I guess it's still pretty marginal talking about race in the United States, but like mm. this more um, well-known author who doesn't traditionally write comics or fiction. He talked in an episode on NPR about how he's not super comfortable writing fiction, and so that kind of came across in the pages. His dialogue is kind of choppy. We'll see, hopefully it gets better as it goes along. It was just the first first book, but it's interesting. And so I, I really like the idea of him writing comics and getting people like that who have unique worldviews and perspectives on issues of race and, and gender and different identities and translating that into these comic characters that we know. And also he's a comic book fan too, right? Right. He talks a lot about how he read Black Panther growing up. He read right. comics growing up. Right. And in his Spider-Man. NPR interview was titled like, I hope the Black Panther is some kid's Spider-Man to see himself reflected on pages like that. Right. And so he's he's got a, a unique perspective about this medium of comic books and trying to use that to have these conversations about race and racial justice and stuff. So it's more compelling to me that story of this guy writing this comic than the comic itself. But I still think people should buy the comic so that they keep giving him an opportunity and give other folks like that opportunities. Hmm. So how cool would it be to have Sherman Alexi come in and be the author for... Actually, I say Red Wolf because Equinox was a better character, a better planned out character from Justice League Unlimited. And so something like that, like give the character Equinox... Hmm her own title, Justice League United, not Unlimited, to give the character Equinox her own title and then bring in somebody who is a fan of comics and understands comics. It sounds to me like the only, and so for natives, like Sherman Alexi, I think would do a pretty good job and he's expressed how much he's a fan of comics and might have a good perspective. But it also kind of sounds like when Brian Singer did um, Superman Returns and it was more like a love letter to Christopher Reeves rather than it actually being a good continuation of the series and then updated or even kind of like uh the star wars remake like jj abrams it's like all these people that are like playing on nostalgia is is the author Coates doing that also and is that something we need to be more critical of or because well jj abrams gets a pass brian singer gets a pass he still gets to direct x-men but if ta how you pronounce it ta-nehisi is whatever ta-nehisi if ta-nehisi's Coates screws up Sherman Alexi's never going to get a chance. Right. Eddie Wong is never going to get a chance. Right. Who's a like House think, on Mango Street? I think there's she's never going to get a chance. Like, undercurrents, at least in my perspective on it, because yeah. uh, we've seen that happen in the past, right? It's okay. like, oh, it doesn't translate. You know, we've seen guys get TV shows, and they're like, oh, that's ethnic humor. Oh, that's that's Hispanic humor. <laughs> so I think there's definitely that undercurrent because we live in America, baby. Mm. You know. I do want to defend Brian Singer for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Brian I Singer. Say, I, I like say, as, I, as a as oh. a gay guy. I think he uh, bisexual. Well, he's bisexual. He can uh, he understands the the world of the X Men. You know, coming from like a, you know a group that, that's bogged down and impressed in that kind of way. You know, uh, especially in X Men Two, I think it like really rang true. You know, especially that, that, that scene where. Uh, Bobby Drake Iceman's at this family's house, and he has to he comes out to them in that way. You know, and. Uh, so I think that's why when the series was helmed back to him, like he, it, it went back true to form. You know, it dealt with like different kind of issues and a different kind of feeling and sense. You know, so uh, Brian Singer, love letter to Superman, not so good. Dealing with what it's like to be an outsider, you know, in, in one regard, whether or not it's your race or your sexuality. I think he handles the X-Men universe properly. I think he did okay with the X-Men, but actually this is... I want to roll today, man. I'm just gonna play into the. I'm gonna play into the. I'm gonna play into the stereotype. The design was terrible. Which one? Oh, the hot leather. The hot leather did not. At least they didn't put nipples on the suits, man. It's what we needed back then. It was the comp. It's not what we deserved, but it's what we needed. It's the comic book movie we deserved. (laughs) (laughs) It's terrible. It's terrible. I yeah. think another so like, it could be accepted. But just now to it's go like all colorful. And... Now their costumes are are oh. getting to the you know. And now it's like weird full circle where because it's the eighties. Because uh-huh. well, actually no, 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 no I just big, man. yeah yeah. Don Don Draper said it was powerful, right? It's potent. Mm. Everyone <laughs> everyone knows satire satire side. I think another example of this is Border Town. Have you guys watched Border Town? Oh yeah, it's, it's kind of terrible. Family Guy, dude. It's yeah, it's it's Mexican Family Guy. Uh, um, the writing is awesome. The jokes are great. Some of the jokes. And you can totally tell where, like, the Chicanos have snuck in. And that's, like, Lalo Alcaraz and Gustavo Arellano have, yeah. like, snuck in yeah. and got some real legit stuff in there. But then you can tell when, the, when, like, the real McFarlane writers have taken it over and their jokes that just don't hit or miss the mark. 
But I think it's in that same realm of like becoming this ethnic show that, you know, brown people are supposed to watch and nobody else really gets it. I'm kind of scared for those guys because I really like those guys. Yeah. Uh, I really like Lalo and his cartoon stuff that he's done for 25 years or whatever. But it's an interesting to see like brown people infiltrating these spaces and still kind of being, you know, either you have to do the family guy formula or it kind of gets pushed off to the side. I really like it when they show a diversity of brown people. So they do a pretty good job on that show, the diversity a different type of Chicano people. It's not just all, it's not just one stereotype, but it's actually about seven different stereotypes. Yeah, right, exactly, exactly. His, <laughs> like, nephew, of stereotypes. the nephew who's, like, yeah. the Chicano activist, the, like, college student. Unemployed. Activist, yeah. Unemployed. It's, like, it's yeah. great. Like, and you can tell the, where it's... The hyper-conservative guy that works on the board, his boss, the, or yeah. the, the good Steve, whoever... And then the stereotypical, then the other guy, the, the border kid, patrol guy, yeah, the border patrol guy, and then the guy who's just uh, just being a gardener, trying to get by, living the American dream. Like there was one where the churches were competing, yeah. like the mega church versus the little like yeah. Mexican church. Okay. Um, it's a great, like it's a good show. It's a good shot, if nothing else. Like yeah. it might not be a home run, but it's you know getting those voices onto the screen and showing that it translates. Like it's humor that transcends. Yeah. Is is the change now that uh, when they tried to do an Asian sitcom with Pat Morita in the 70s and that failed, Asians didn't get another sitcom until 30, 35 years later, yeah. is 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 that the change or are we just repeating the same cycle with Ta-Nehisi Coates? Is that like if he fails, there's not going to be another outsider from the comic book industry writing on critical issues to to different races right. for another 30 well, years. We're post, post-racial America now, <laughs> I think. Um, post-racial America, like, fucked us all up. The whole country, all the brown people, all the black people, like, because we knew that it was bullshit. Like, inherently knew that post-racial America is not a fucking thing, mm-hmm. right? So now we're post-post-racial dealing with, like, real overt racisms, like, in-your-face, like, KKK rally racisms. Yeah. Like, like Trump. Trump. Yeah, <laughs> like, rioting in Costa Mesa. Or, like, KKK riots in Georgia. Like, we're having crazy, like, racial tension. So I think it's it's a reflection of that as well, right? Like, racial justice, the idea that racism still exists is a thing, you know? Because we can't ignore, oh, we have a black president. Racism's not a thing. I don't see race. Uh, well, the rest of the country sees race. So it doesn't matter if you see race as an individual, you know? People are rioting. So, you know, we'll see, I guess. We'll see what happens, but by the book, just in case. <laughs> um, a question about the book. Uh, would With a book like Black Panther and uh, with, with the author, would the hope be to bring more young black readers in, you know, and to get them buying more books? Or is it also to expose white readers that are reading the books like, hey, man, Black Panther isn't just for, you know, the black readers. Like, go ahead and come and open this book up and you'll be exposed to some things and ideas uh, uh, that you might not catch in something Does else. Does anybody know yeah. if the Black Panther character came first or the Black Panther party came it first? Was the, it was the party. The party came no, first. No, the character came first. Ooh. I, Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Right, well, this is where we introduce this segment. Well, actually. <laughs> yeah, right. Go back, go, back on the, go back on the Comic Society Facebook page because there's a couple of stuff. For a little while, <clears throat> the Black Panther character was known as the Black Leopard to avoid any association with the Black Panther Party. Okay. Oh, actually, you know, I don't. This is also where we introduce the. Se- this is where also where we introduce the segment known as Nez never tells the truth. <laughs> <laughs> Nez telling lies, man. Typical Navajo. Oh my god! Oh, 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 oh. That's that petty regionalism. <laughs> I am on a roll. The sad thing is that I'm part Navajo too. So. The sad thing. Um, <laughs> that was wrong. Equation. <laughs> like we said, this is James's last uh, episode. <laughs> Let it all hang out, cool. man. <laughs> Burn it all. 1976 for the character, 1966 for the party. Oh. <sighs> Dang, somebody was telling the truth the whole time. It's subversive for them to have a character named Black Panther Party. Because mm. I'm pretty critical of, like, race stuff, especially in pop culture shit, because that's, you know, that's how we communicate. That's how we folks tell their stories, and people attach their identities to these characters and stuff. Mm. So it's actually sort of subversive for Stan Lee and the Marvel guys to create a character, name it Black Panther, 
after all the like stuff that the Black Panther Party had been through. And by 76, like I said, there had been multiple assassinations. People were in prison. People were in exile in Cuba and Africa. Uh, they had been targeted. The FBI had gone after them hardcore. COINTELPRO came out. Like, well, COINTELPRO started in the 60s, but 1971 was when all those files were released. When those dudes broke into the FBI headquarters or one of the FBI offices and released all that information about how they were targeting organizations and going after the Black Panthers. J. Edgar Hoover called them the most dangerous threat to America. So it's actually interesting then if the character came after the party hmm. and like that much into the party's history. Ten years in, yeah. Yeah, so Nez was telling the truth. Nez was telling the truth. <laughs> also, <laughs> I take back everything I said about Nez being a liar. Now James is a liar. Now but James when, is the But liar. when you say you're critical of races, does that mean that you think that brown people should stop being so lazy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and create our own comic books, yeah. Uh, just trying to spread the you racism. Spread, spread the satire. I think um, I'm tired. So, buy the book. Buy the book. Buy the book. And buy Ta-Nehisi Coates' book, because it's also really, really good. So, buy those. It's called Between the World and Me. Maybe let's get some more diversity in in some of the writers, even if it pulls in from outside the comic book industry. I actually think it's cool when it's outside the comic industry. I haven't read... Well, Kevin Smith did all the Daredevil Mm. stuff, which was kind of cool. Joss Whedon's done some X-Men stuff. Which is fucking awesome, man. Um... Has anybody seen the CM Punk stuff, the Drax the Destroyer? I haven't oh, seen it, but I've heard it's good. Yeah. I've heard it's good. You know what's making me sad about Black Panther right now is he's going to lose to fucking Captain America. He's, so he's going to get beat up, <laughs> you dude. You say that kind of stuff. You think so? Weird. You didn't wait for me to say it. You think so? I think him and Bucky will throw down. No, everybody's just going to end up losing to Captain America. That's how it goes. It's his <laughs> movie. Captain America it's movie. Yeah. movie. <laughs> it's the movie. Yeah, it's yeah, it's his shit. <laughs> yeah. I keep thinking of this as like Avengers 3. Like, you know what I mean? No. I, don't, I don't see it as a cat movie. But I heard, like, the best, you know, I'm not just going off of Kevin Smith's thing, but I've been hearing, like... I haven't listened to anything Kevin Smith has said for, like, is. a couple of years. Well, you're young. It's okay, man. <laughs> now James is a liar. The Native Comic Book Society podcast is brought to you by The Indian Burial Ground, scaring the shit out of white people since time immemorial.